Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Lots of grackles. Uh, I know they're not everybody's favorite bird, but, boy, there's really been a lot of them in the last few days. A uh, lot of uh, red-winged blackbirds here in, uh, well, just on the edge of my yard. And it is, uh, as Dale said, it is foggy. Oh. Uh, I, it is really, really foggy. I, I went for a walk, and I couldn't see very, very far. So uh, when I got to a road, I had to listen pretty. Uh, I had to listen pretty seriously because I couldn't see anything. So I, to cross the road, I wanted to make sure. Uh, fog eats snow. That's what I was always told as a kid. It uh, re-radiates things, so snow disappears supposedly much quicker when there is a, f a fog out there, so that's probably happening today. Uh, one thing, you know, I always have one thing I think of after after a show. We were talking in, about uh, cream on milk, milk on mm. milk, milk toast, <laughs> all these different cream on toast, and I was thinking back in the 18th century, Breakfast wasn't a, a big meal, and there aren't any records of what Alexander Hamilton preferred to eat in the morning, but I bet he dined on something called brewis, like brew beer with an I-S on the end, broken bits of stale bread eaten with milk or cream, and that was cereal before cereal. So just think of that when we're having our lucky charms in the morning, that mm. we could be just having stale bread with uh, milk or cream. I think I'd want it with cream. That just seems oh, to... I don't know. I, you um, know, the thing is, on the farm, I always loved the milk freight straight from the tank, and it was like 4.0, which is... I guess that would be probably considered cream, but, you know, then once I left the farm and I started drinking even 2%, it tasted like water, but then I started going to 1% and now skim milk, and now anything more than skim milk tastes like cream to me. So isn't it funny how your taste buds adjust? Yeah, and, and when I went off to grade school in downtown, or not well, on the edge of downtown, beautiful Heartland, 300 people, and I got that uh, milk out of the machine there, and I thought, boy, this, uh, just as you said, I said, this is water. This isn't milk. Mm -hmm. I, and it took me quite a while to get really used to mm -hmm. having it without that cream in there. Yeah. Each morning, you know, I look out the window and I see nature has painted a new new picture. Uh, Downy Woodpecker was as still as a painting on the suet feeder because an exhibitor was lurking. So he was trying to just stay still because uh, predators have predators' eyes and they see movement. I gloried in the company of red poles, still have them. A single bird is enough to fill my cup with wonder. I heard blue jays make red-tailed hawk calls. And I understand the value of the mimicry. It's an effective way to frighten other birds away from a food source. And I, you know how you just things occur to you? I was thinking without a great deal of time or effort, I can see a bald eagle or a trumpeter swan. And I remember when that was an impossibility for either one. Uh, keep an eye out for turkey vultures. They eat things that have gone past their expiration dates. Predators, again, look for something moving. Turkey vultures, they look for something that's not moving. I saw river otters this winter, and seeing them brought joy, and they appear to be having fun all the time. 
I just love watching otters. They're just, they seem to have great joy. Uh, Brenda Katasik of St. Peter, she she was in Florida, and she said we had a small memorial service last Thursday at the cemetery for my brother Lyle. He did not want a formal funeral. When we got to the cemetery, about 40 feet from the memorial site, I spotted five white cattle egrets. They stood there watching us the entire time we were there. Lyle knew how much I love birds. And, uh, yeah, my condolences. You sound like a wonderful guy, Brenda. Uh, Scott Marpy of Emmons said there are two bald eagle nests on Bear Lake. Uh, Luke Johnson, who listens online from Deer Park, Wisconsin, said, Hi, Mr. Bat. We listen to your program online. Over here up high, we have seen swans, Canada geese, bald eagles, and a first for us, a golden eagle. Bad joke. I heard on the news the Pope is sick with the bird flu. They think he got it from a cardinal. Um, thanks, Luke. That's, uh, I, yeah, yeah. It's You know, the groaners, they're so good. Uh, Lynn Wasmone of Emmons uh, related a, a story, and I'm not going to go into all of it because I wouldn't be able to do it justice. But he was out with his grandchildren, and they saw a bald eagle. And he expressed the excitement of those grandchildren over seeing that big bird. And it was just, uh, it was great. I'd have to have Lynn's face because he was just, uh, it was very expressive and it was really cool. Uh, Vicki and Tom Laroon sent me a photo of many house sparrows. They just, they like to line up on things so you can take a photo of them. And some dandy photos of a Cooper's hawk. Uh, you got a text from Terry from Lesseur, mm-hmm. so I would like to hear Al talk about pileated woodpeckers, and we see them occasionally on bird feeders. Uh, I boy, I love uh, I love pileated woodpeckers. I don't get them in the yard here very often. When they are here, they come in and feed on the suet, and it might be this time of year. It seems when they do that because uh, there's probably uh, foods maybe a little bit harder to find. They feed uh, primarily around here carpenter ants. That's the really? big thing they eat. But oh. they oh, they love carpenter ants. But they'll eat fruit, nuts. They'll even eat the um, fruit of poison ivy and doesn't mm-hmm. bother them at all. The uh, males are 10 to 15% larger than the females. You can tell the difference from the male to female pretty easily. The the female has a black, oh, I call them mustaches, but it's kind of a cheek stripe, and the males have red ones. And they hunt with, uh, by both sight and sound, I think. They both, the male and the female, have red crests. They're approximately the size of a crow, and they dig huge rectangular holes in dead trees. And they're not only looking for carpenter ants, they also like wood-boring beetle larvae. So they are uh, great birds. We see them more. I don't know if they're becoming more accustomed to us or if we just have gone into areas where they were. When I was a kid, it just seemed to see one was just astounding because they were such shy birds. They are very loud, and we probably hear them very often when we're walking in a park or something. Um, probably hear them more than we see them. 
they are just, uh, I love pileated, and you can say pileated or pileated. Oh. Either way is right, and don't let anybody say, oh, that's <laughs> pileated or that's pileated, you know, fooey on them. It's, it's like just, peony, peony. Yeah. Yeah, either way is right, and uh, they're not going to come when we call them anyway. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, said uh, after last week's show with Al, I took his advice and info about deer shed hunting and found one on a well-used deer trail. Do you know how much it's worth? Half a buck. <laughs> and it's a picture of just one antler, is what it was that he sent. Oh, yeah, Don in Cannon Falls, and thanks, Don. That's great that you find them. There's something about finding, I, as a kid, I'd go with my dad, and we'd just hunt around and look for antlers, and when we found one, what we do with them? we put them in, the, like, a, the dad's workshop, and we throw them up there, and mice would chew them up and things. We didn't do anything with them once we found them, but it was just, it was the thrill of the hunt, I guess, finding those things. It was just such a... It surprised us. Have you seen in some of those high-end, um, I don't know, magazines, they actually have antler chandeliers. They're made of, of antlers. I, I don't know if they're real or maybe they, they're replicas, but they sell for thousands of dollars. And it's usually you find them in like a lodge or something. And I don't know. I just think they're kind of gross. But it's just a whole chandelier made up of antlers. And I have a friend by the name of Lowell Millhouse, and he lives in Albert Lee. And he makes all kinds of things, uh, artsy, craftsy things out of uh, shed antlers. And Ooh, he's okay. very talented at it. And he'll make, oh, if you want a picture frame made out of them or uh, a mirror frame and just all all kinds of things. And I'm sure he makes stuff for restaurants. And okay. restaurants seem to like that sort of thing. And but, uh, yeah, he's very good at it. So every year he's out there, you know, getting people to see if they can find some sheds for him so he can can make all these things. Uh, John from New Alm said, uh, loading car and trying to eat something, going to dad's suit. Maybe a joke next time from <laughs> Sauerkraut Street in Polka Music City. And I want to say, John sent me a letter that I got last week. It was right after, of course, we had our show that I got it. But here is a joke he did send me. He goes, sometimes when I pay a big bill, it has a line that says, amount you are paying. And then there's a line. And he says, it should be amount you are pay in, like as in pain. Get it? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's, well, I have those bills. And John sent me a, 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 a um, an envelope full of things, not just a letter. He sent me a postcard with New Alm with the clock tower on it. Just a nice little postcard there. And he sent me a, a coaster from, uh, it says, Shell Beer, Prost, Oktoberfest at the brewery. He sent me a coupon for any mission carb balance or gluten-free item. Those are like, you know, your, your uh, burrito um, shells and that sort of thing. And then he sent me a coin from the Herman Monument, New Ulm, Minnesota, like one of those little wood wooden coins from 2015. Oh. So it was my lucky day that he uh, sent me just a whole bunch of fun presents and, and sent me a little letter. So, and he, you know, he's a longtime listener. And this one he signs, that's the news from Lake Woe Be Gone. John has oh. left the building. So thanks, John. Thank you, John. <clears throat> it's always good to hear from you. I was in uh, Fayette, Iowa, 
and I stopped in a, um, a thrift store, and there was a lady wearing a Shell's um, huh. beer T-shirt, or uh, sweatshirt, rather, in there. It, it, hers was very nice, but why... I'm speaking for myself here. Why do we continue to wear sweatshirts that are just ragged and just all on their last legs? So comfortable. So comfortable, don't you think? Or if you might be going from someplace to garden, like I'll be in my raggedy sweatshirt because I'm going to maybe go to the store and then go directly to gardening. That's my excuse. I'm I'm reading a book about a guy that's uh, running with turkeys. I know it sounds goofy, (laughs) but so far it's it's kind of an interesting book. He wants to run down a turkey and catch a turkey. Oh, my. And his wife is after him to maybe go to Goodwill or somewhere and upgrade his clothing because he's just uh, wearing everything. And I'm thinking, man, you know, that's... I can only speak for men, and I can only speak for one of those, I guess. But, uh, yeah, you get, I I finally got rid of one sweatshirt because I looked at the sleeves, and they were just, you look like each time I put them on, well, this will be the last time. It'll just rip completely apart. But they keep going and (laughs) And going and going. going. Yeah. I am a great well, it's going to be a long-winded answer. I'm sorry for this. Are wild turkeys native to Minnesota? Uh, you know, prior to European settlement, I, I think the DNR says this. I'm not sure. If it's not them, I apologize. But wild turkeys were found only along the Iowa border, probably in southeast Minnesota. And as the state was settled, a few turkeys here were eliminated by hunting and habitat loss as early as 1880. And by 1910, I hope I got that date right, wild turkeys were extirpated from Iowa. So by 1910, there were no turkeys in Iowa or Minnesota. And the last turkey was seen in Lucas County in 1910, that being the south-central part of the state. Again, market hunting and reduced forest habitat led to their demise. And once extirpated, wild turkeys didn't exist in Minnesota for, I think it was nearly 100 years before the reintroductions were successful. In the early years of turkey raising by farmers, the turkeys resembled wild turkeys. But if you go to a turkey farm or see domestic turkeys, they're white, and farmers bred white turkeys because the white feathers are less visible on dress carcasses. Oh. And, the, and the birds have lighter skin color, which is appealing to consumers for some reason. The white turkeys we see on farms today probably didn't become common until late 30s and early 40s, because I remember reading the the book about the 1940 Armistice Day blizzard, and it caused large losses to the Minnesota's fledgling turkey industry. Turkeys were reintroduced in southeastern Minnesota in 1973 with 29 birds. They got them from Missouri. Uh, the DNR traded roughed grouse for them. The Show Me State turkeys were released in Houston County. Hundreds of pen-raised turkeys from Maryland and Pennsylvania and Texas had been released in southern and central Minnesota in the 20s. 
1957, I remember that because I loved the 1957 Chevrolets, uh, pen-reared turkeys from Pennsylvania were set free in the Whitewater Wildlife Management Area in Winona County and all failed to survive. And then uh, 64 to maybe 68, they trapped 39 wild turkeys in Nebraska and South Dakota and Arkansas and released them here. But they were the Miriam's subspecies, which are smaller and less hardy than the mm-hmm. eastern subspecies that's native to Minnesota, and they all perished. But the class of 1973 that was released in Houston, oh boy, they just thrived. The population grew rapidly, grew so rapidly that the first hunting season was in 1978. And over the years, Minnesota sent gray partridges to New York, black bears to Arkansas, Canada geese to Oklahoma in return for eastern wild turkeys. They brought in birds from Wisconsin. They brought in birds from Illinois. T.S. Roberts, in his 1932 book, The Birds of Minnesota, concluded that wild turkeys likely never resided in Minnesota before early failed attempts at introduction. But Aldo Leopold, who wrote San County Almanac, one of the one of the books that certainly changed my life, reported in 1931 that he'd found written accounts of turkeys living in southern Minnesota and Rock County in 1871 and Blue Earth County way back in 1773. Leopold added that no single statement in this report is offered as a final or sufficient fact. But I think, you know, it's reasonable to speculate that turkeys might have occurred in Minnesota in those days. Now, wild turkeys are found in every state but Alaska. And I know every time I say that, people say, oh, yeah, they're not in Hawaii. But, yeah, they are in Hawaii. They're everywhere but in Alaska. And it's a rare day if you can... When you're driving or something, and without getting run over by traffic, if you look, you're going to see them. They're just everywhere. Is it too cold in Alaska, or what's the deal? No, no, they they didn't think they'd do very well here in northern Minnesota because of the cold and the snow and everything, but they apparently are thriving here. They just do really well in cold and they uh, don't seem to have many problems. Uh, oh, I'm going to forget the guy's name. I want to say Hutton, but I'm not. I better not because I don't know if that's it. He uh, lived. Uh, it was a guy that lived with turkeys. I think they had a thing on PBS about him, and he said after spending all that time with turkeys, he believed that they were smarter than he was. <laughs> he said they're just. Uh, he said they're incredible. Turkeys have a great flight response so if they see something that doesn't just seem right they're gone and that's one of the reasons they do so well and any turkey hunter will say what a challenge it is to get a turkey you know they have to revert to all the camouflage and all the different calls they make and all these various things in order to get one so turkeys are they're amazing amazing critters uh, a much shorter answer to this one. Do sandhill cranes nest in Minnesota and or Iowa? 
Minnesota has expanding populations in northwestern Minnesota. Sandhills are from the mid-continent population, and they winter in the Texas Gulf Coast, while the east and central cranes and some that we get around here are part of the eastern population, and they winter in northern and central Florida. Uh, suitable breeding areas, what do they need? They need water, nesting cover, uh, nearby foraging area, and they like isolation. They just don't want to be around like us. And the nest is a platform they constructed of vegetation and either floats in shallow water, is anchored to emergent vegetation, or is placed in uplands adjacent to the wetland. And wetland recovery and restoration in Iowa has allowed the cranes to nest there since 1992. And uh, I'm sure they nested far back before that, but the most recent ones uh, have started in 1992. Cranes live as long as 35 years in the wild. And about 30% of the colts, are able to fly, that live long enough You said to colt? Fly. What's a colt? A colt is a young crane. Oh, I didn't know that. All I could think of was a young horse, and, and I was confused. Yeah, no they're, uh, no, they're beautiful, and I do breeding bird surveys, and I find more cranes. It oh. seems like each year I do a breeding bird survey, and I love hearing that call. It's just, uh, it's an amazingly good call. And I get to see young sandhill cranes every so often, and uh, it's just a neat thing. They're out there in kind of a wet meadow, and mom is running along with them saying, here, this is good to eat, and this, you know, don't eat this. This is nasty, so stay away from this. And it's just fun seeing them. They are um, such exquisite beings, and uh, they dance just uh, like for no apparent reason. I'm sure there's a, a bonding and family bonding and pair bonding, but they just dance all of a sudden. They just stop everything and dance, and they'll pick up a bit of something and toss it up in the air, and then they all dance around. Maybe that <laughs> it might be like a joke to them, just like throwing it. something up in the air, and they all say, oh, you just, that is so good, and then they dance around. And, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I just love seeing them. Uh, here's a, oh, this is a question I wouldn't have ever thought of, I guess. Why is it called Kitty Hawk? Oh. You know, I've worked in North Carolina's Outer Banks, and I visited the Wright Brothers National Memorial. And I know that the area was chosen for its high treeless hills, ideal for launching a glider, and they have these broad sand beaches for soft landings. Because, boy, I looked at that glider. You wanted something with soft landings if you were going to be in that thing. Orville made the first successful flight. I had to look up the date. I remember it was 1903, but it was December 17, 1903. But Wilbur had won the coin toss again on December 17, or on See, he, he'd he won the coin toss. It had been right before that, like December 14th or something, for who would make the first attempt. But Wilbur, his was unsuccessful. So when they tried again on December 17th, it was Orville's turn. And, but, well, back, I'm, why Kitty Hawk? Most agree that it was a Native American name. I remember the, uh, like a docent there was telling us about this. And it... 
it was appeared on they had some old maps there um, replicas english settlers map it was called chickahawk uh chicky hawk uh chicken hawk had been in the 1700s and settlers you know how good we were coming over here we just confounded the spelling uh, there was just no, there were no books to refer to on how to spell anything, so you just wrote it down however you thought it wanted to look, however you want to be. So they filed land deeds referencing Kitty Huck, Kitty Hart, Kitty Hawk, uh, all these different things. But Kitty Hawk is credited as the home of the Wright Brothers' first flight, but it took place in neighboring Kill Devil Hills which wasn't incorporated till like 50 years later. But if anybody gets the chance, it's really fun going out there and going through all that. But uh, Kitty Hawk is uh, one of those names that it seems like everybody recognizes, mm-hmm. Kitty Hawk. Yeah. And, and again, it's just probably bad spelling by <laughs> Europeans that came over here. So we can... A lot of us can take the blame for that and our ancestors. So we just said, yeah, that looks like it's the way I'd spell it, and away they go. So, Al, but, I wanted to let you yeah. know today is my son's 15th birthday, and do you know what he got for his 15th birthday? Or he's getting? Uh, a brand-new car. A snake. We're, we're gonna finally going to oh. do it. He got a, a coupon during for his Christmas present saying, you have you will be able to... For your present, you can get on the list, the waiting list for baby garter snakes at Snake Discovery, which up is up in the Twin Cities, a place that they've got a zoo up there too. And so for this birthday, he got all the the aquarium and all the things you need, the lights, the basking lights, the heat lamp and everything. And all we have to do now is go up to the cities and, and he's going to pick out his little garter. So now we will be a reptile family uh, in addition well, cool. to the cats. And I hope they don't mind. <laughs> Oh, that's really neat. He's born on the Ides of March. Huh? Yes, he ha- he was. So, yeah, and he's, you know, he's got that all of a sudden he went from the sweet, cuddly little 14-year-old to now he's, I don't know if he's got to be cool, but it's it's all of a sudden it was like a switch went off and he he's, you know, just more of a, I don't know, cool and aloof. Is that what happens when you turn into a, a little older in your teenage years? Well, uh, you know, I, again, I can only speak for boys, but we do become incredibly cool right yes. around that age. Right. You know, so it's, you, you, we can't help ourselves, yeah. But mom's always mom, you know. Yeah, right. So yeah, anyway, so. but yeah, so so we're going to, I'll have some snake stories I'm sure to tell, and I'm just, my goal is to not have it escape into the house. And he gets to care for that. I don't mind caring for the cats, but the snake, that's his thing. It's uh, my uh, grandson Crosby's birthday is tomorrow, okay. or day after tomorrow. My birthday's tomorrow. Oh, and happy Crosby's birthday, Al. Is, yeah, on St. Patrick's Day. My birthday's on St. Urho's Day. Oh. Um, yeah, he, he. they made that up in Virginia, Minnesota. The oh. guy worked at a department <laughs> store. So oh, funny. <laughs> he supposedly drove the frogs out of Finland because they were eating the grapes. And then I think finally after a while somebody said, you know, the frogs wouldn't be eating the grapes. So then they changed it to the grasshoppers. He drove Oof. the grasshoppers out, which makes a little more sense. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. In their book, the Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu outlined the eight pillars of joy. And they divided by mind. There's perspective, humility, humor, and acceptance, and heart. 
forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. I stopped at a fast food restaurant because it was the only place open late at night. The menu board showed a cheeseburger big enough to hurt my back if I tried (laughs) to lift one. I placed my order, and I was the only car in line, so I asked the clerk at the window if I could walk through the drive-thru. I was just curious. She asked, why would you want to do that? And said, I couldn't do it until she asked her manager. I said, well, there's no need. I was just curious. I sometimes stay in hotels near fast food joints, and I've always wanted to hitchhike through a drive-thru. I'd be willing to chip in on the gas. And I'm thinking about that when my order came, and I had food in a bag. I pulled into a parking place and was eating, and I found an onion ring in my french fries. (laughs) Dessert. It was dessert. I offered acceptance and gratitude for the surprise and felt joy. Uh, Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Um, Karen, I enjoyed your company so very much, and thank you, all you listeners. You, You rock. Thank you, Al. It's always great to have you on. We'll chat with you next week. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.